Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Thanks for listening to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative, whose founding partners include Youth Next, the University of Virginia's Center to Promote Effective Youth Development, and the Association for Middle-Level Education, or AMLE. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets of young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, I talk with Ashley Leonard and Jen Choke from the University of Chicago. Ashley is the Associate Director of the To and Through Project Middle Grades Network, an initiative within the university's Urban Education Institute. Jen is a school coach, working with Ashley to offer middle grades educators in a cohort of Chicago public schools support in solving problems of practice specific to the middle grades, using the university's extensive data and research resources. The support offers a unique experience in Chicago, where traditional middle schools are rare, and instead, most educators work in elementary schools, serving youth in kindergarten through eighth grade. Because CPS is structured in K-8, there isn't a lot of focus on middle school. So for so many of the educators we work with, the fact that they just have dedicated time and space to talk about the needs of this student group is huge. And it sounds really small, but like the fact that there is a focus on that and we're also talking about adolescent development and how that means how you teach students and how they learn and what they need is very different from when they were in fourth and fifth grade or what they'll need when they're in ninth and 10th grade really does make a big difference. Ashley and Jen and I talk about some of the specific research and tools the University of Chicago has produced around young adolescent learning and development that they are able to offer their partner schools, how they selected schools to participate in the project, and what they are doing to set up educators to work within and across schools on problems of practice specific to middle grades. What are those challenges and opportunities their school partners are wrestling with? and what they are learning that could be helpful to the broader field. Now, here's my conversation with Ashley Leonard and Jen Choke. Ashley, Jen, thanks so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us, Jason. So for the benefit of our listeners, let's start by learning a bit about you both. You each have different types of experience in the world of education and youth. Uh, Just tell me a little bit about your journeys to this space, uh, what inspired you or compelled you to pursue careers in this field? Ashley, you want to go ahead? Sure. So I started working in education um, in 2012 um, after realizing I, could, I had always kind of had a passion for trying to improve the experiences of students that look like me as a Black woman. Like I had a very particular kind of educational experience. I moved seven times before I started middle school and always lived in majority white suburbs. So I always loved school, but it wasn't necessarily always a really affirming place for me. And it wasn't until I got to college that I really started to connect my passion for education to my learning um, and really built some community in my college spaces and through my studies in sociology um, and African-American history that I really was like, 
this is a place I can really have an impact and something I'm really passionate about. And I actually started working in the private sector at Kraft Foods because I had interned there in college, but then kind of realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to do was sell people <laughs> bologna and cookies. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, great organization and really learned a ton. But I started volunteering in education more regularly and was like, I want to do this all the time. I don't want it to just be a hobby. And really transitioned then um, after I went to grad school into education full time um, and started out working at CPS um, in 2012. So I spent some time at Chicago Public Schools. I was at the Chicago Public Education Fund, which focuses on principal quality, and then the SPARC program here in Chicago that focuses on career exploration and self-discovery, specifically for middle school students. And I think that was when a lot of things came together for me and this passion I had for education, as well as mentoring and realizing the importance of exposure and you know the concept of social capital and like helping students especially black and brown students realize the power of those networks was really huge. And then, you know, a couple years into my time at Spark, this opportunity to come work at the Two and Through project and help launch the Middle Grades network appeared and I was like this kind of brings together a lot of my passions and my desire to really have systems level impact like I did at CPS and the fund, but at the same time be closer to students and schools every day like I had at Spark and really have an impact in a broad way. So it's been a really great transition into this space. And I'm really excited about the possibilities ahead for our work with middle school students and the long-term impact that we can have here in Chicago. That's great. And Jen, about you, you, you spent a lot of time in the, in the classroom. It did. Um, so like Ashley, I also moved a lot um, prior to going to middle school. And so I moved eight times and lived in four different states. Um, by the time I was 10 years old, um, you know, what that what that did for me is I was super shy and I really had a hard time adjusting when I got into middle school, but I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I always knew that I wanted to go into education. Uh, I came from a long history of education in my family, including my mom, who was a teacher. Um, and then my grandmother actually started the Head Start program in Lake County. Uh, so I grew up learning about all the things that she had done and, and really wanted to get into that space too. Um, so I started as a middle school social studies and English teacher, uh, and I worked as a middle school teacher for 15 years. Um, I taught in Ohio for a little bit, Virginia for a little bit, and then came to Illinois in 2002 and started working in a middle school here. And in that work, it was always about helping students to be able to find their passion. Um, I had the motto in my classroom above my whiteboard that said, you know, find your passion and act on it. Um, and I really believe that if you help students to, to find their passion and be able to figure out a way to take action on that, then, then they will be successful. And I believe in helping them find that voice. So after about 15 years of teaching, I actually followed my own advice and went to Emoja where, they, where I worked on social emotional learning and really worked on that systems and structures work in schools to holistically support high school students. But I still had this passion for middle school. So after five years at Emoja, I then went to the Two and Three Project. Um, and super, I'm super excited to really be able to op- have this opportunity to combine my passions for systems work um, and really supporting middle grade students. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving all of the intersections here of in-school teaching, out-of-school education, philanthropy, systems work at the district, programmatic work, et cetera. I think this is a really rich uh, intersection here of, of the backgrounds. Actually, let's to kick off our topic at hand here, 
I want to get a better idea for the Middle Grades Network, which is a fairly new initiative of the University of Chicago's To and Through project. I guess first we should say that To and Through is a line of work at UChicago that I believe it's right to say at its core is one of the really the most comprehensive and robust databases of Chicago student data that tracks their path to and through college, thus thus the name. I use the tool a lot in my work with foundations and nonprofits in Chicago. It tells us a lot about the pathways that young people take in their adolescence and into adulthood, specifically to, to education on track in high school, high school graduation, college going rates, college persistence, graduation rates. The data is broken out by school and by student demographics. It's, it's really a remarkable resource. Now, most of that data into and through represents the student's experience starting in ninth grade and then through college. But the research and writings you all have done around that has touched on the lead up to those years, namely in middle grades. Talk a bit about the genesis of the middle grades work and and why and how it's nestled within this larger body of work that is to and through. It's a great point that the Middle Grades Network kind of is the culmination of a lot of moving pieces over time that kind of all finally came together at the right point to kind of allow this to happen. So, you know, as you mentioned, um, the Two and Through Project is based out of the University of Chicago, and we work in really close partnership with the University of Chicago's Consortium on School Research that has a deep, long um, research practice partnership with the Chicago Public Schools. And they've been putting out reports for 20 plus years on a number of topics. A lot of those topics have primarily focused in high school. Um, And they've done a lot of work around high school and kind of that transition, as you mentioned, getting kids set up for success in post-secondary. And I think more recently, though, they've also started getting into, as they've learned so much about things like freshman on track, and that's become a really powerful metric, they're starting to realize there's this need to kind of see what's happening earlier that leads to that success in freshman year. Um, So there's kind of a number of key reports that really influence the work of the network. One of the earliest is the Teaching Adolescents to be Learners back in 2012, which really talked a lot about the social, emotional, the non-cognitive factors that influence student learning, kind of starting in middle school and going into early high school. There's also the really seminal report, um, Looking Forward to High School and College, which we call the Middle Grades Report. Um, that was published in 2014. And that report really talked about a lot of the academic milestones, like grades and attendance, that were really important for success once students got to high school, and how influential those were in also high school graduation rates, even at that early point. Um, So that was a key report. The other one, um, about a year later, is the Foundations for Young Adult Success, which has been used across across the country in a variety of ways. It's a really powerful report that we go back to a lot in our own work with the network that really talks about the development of students during adolescence and what that looks like, the influence of peers, the influence of the outside world, as Jen was talking about, like finding their passions and identifying who they are and how all those things come together to support their academic success. And then most recently, there was the hidden risk report that Two and Through published um, in 2018. And that was a report that really talked about the kind of drop we unfortunately see in grades between that transition from eighth grade to ninth grade and some of the ways we can kind of think about supporting students through that transition. So there was a lot of that kind of work going on. And I think that kind of also sparked this interest in like, the consortium really wants to be doing more research around the middle grades, as does two and through. So it was a great opportunity to use this network to surface new research questions 
and additional data points that we could really seek to understand that middle school experience. And then the other two pieces is um, the Network for College Success, which is also housed at the University of Chicago, has been really successful. And they do similar work in the high school space and really focus on building that capacity of high school leaders to increase achievement and post-secondary success. So we also are borrowing a lot from their model and their success in how we have conceptualized what this network is. Um, and then last but certainly not least, To and Through's work, as you mentioned, is really heavily focused on that data that's really accessible to schools that they could use every day to better support their students and make really actionable outcomes. So this is really an opportunity for To and Through to continue to learn directly from schools about which data is most valuable to them and most actionable, while also being closer and getting deeper into our work with schools um, in a very real way. Yeah, the piece around adolescent development, I've, I've always thought was one of the more powerful ones and certainly one that I've used a lot in, in my work. Um, it's just such a great tool to help think about where young people are in different developmental stages and what the impact of that of those differences are on that continuum to how you approach their learning and development. And it's just a great frame. And the visual, too, I think it's a really helpful, helpful frame for people. Now, in the Middle Grades Network, you have about a half dozen or so, maybe a few more schools collaborating in, in this network. Did you have specific schools in mind to work with you in this experience, or did you open it up to a lot of applicants through an RFP? Did, what was the process for selecting participants? What were the factors that were important to you? So when we thought about school selection, we decided we wanted to stick to about six to eight schools. Um, so we're currently working with six Chicago public schools. And the first two kind of big factors were geographic proximity. We wanted to work with other schools kind of near Hyde Park, where the university is located. And that in Chicago public schools means networks eight and nine, or the many districts within CPS that are basically on the south and southwest sides of the city. And then within those um, networks, we were really looking for diversity across schools. So um, Chicago Public Schools, like a lot of other urban districts, is primarily African-American and Latino students. So we wanted to make sure both of those student populations were represented. We wanted schools that had you know, diverse learner populations and English learner populations that we could really study and understand kind of the impact of these different processes on those schools and those, those student groups as well. And then we were also looking for schools of different sizes. Chicago Public Schools is, is unique in that we have very few traditional middle schools. So CPS has a K through eight model and the majority of schools operate that way. But then within that K-8 model, when they get to middle school, that's when they start to departmentalize and students start to switch classes in preparation for high school. So we also wanted to kind of find a couple of the true middle schools that are still left. There's only about a handful, but also work with the K-8 since that's really the majority. And then I think the other piece was we also have worked really closely with the district to understand like which schools did they think would really benefit from this support and what value did they see in working with those schools in terms of how could it influence the district's own practices and policies around the middle grades. And then from there, we did an application with interested schools from within those networks and site visits that really focused on understanding their existing school structures and teaming structures, their capacity around data since it's a very big focus of the work we do with them and how, how comfortable they are with outside partners kind of coming in and working with them. And then we also asked them, 
kind of an initial idea of what they thought they wanted to work on through the work with us. And that really comes down to we are asking schools to identify a specific problem of practice related to their middle school students that they want to impact and to work on that with us over the course of a minimum of 18 months. So that's kind of how this all started and how we selected the six schools that we're working with today. Jen, you and Ashley as I understand it, share in the work directly with the educators in these schools. First, I'd be interested in knowing what goals you've set out for this initiative. What are you and the participating schools looking to accomplish? And then how do you go about accomplishing that? Just give us a sense for what the work actually looks like. So the overall goal of the network is really to create um, these more equitable systems where middle schoolers thrive. Um, that was kind of the, the genesis of this work um, and really using, as kind of we talked about earlier, the social, emotional and non-academic factors that are critical to the success to really make changes in adult practice that improve that middle grades and like indicators for success and their, and their outcomes um, now and beyond. You know, and, and when we started this work, obviously we were hoping to be doing it in person, um, <laughs> but very quickly had to shift to remote. So we kicked off the network in um, kind of January, February with, you know, the interviewing of schools and the site visits and all the things that we did to, to get to our final um, six schools. And then had our initial kickoff at the end of February, got to visit each school, and then we had to go remote. Um, and so yeah. the nice thing about being in this, in this space and being able to do that was to have that flexibility in being a pilot um, and really kind of being able to kick off and support schools in this time of COVID, in this, you know, continued fight for racial justice in these spaces and really support schools with what they need and continue to do the work that we had set out to do. So we have been able to keep, we do have um, network sessions. Uh, We do one each quarter with schools where we bring the entire network together and work on things like defining their problem of practice, looking at new research and data, uh, really allowing schools to have time to collaborate with one another uh, talk through the challenges that they're facing. Um, so that all of that kind of happens at the network sessions. We have our next one next week. And who are these people? Uh, they are administrators as well as teachers? Are they counselors? Like, give us a sense of who who's actually involved in the network. Absolutely. So in each school team, um, we required an administrator. Um, so the principal needed to be on the team. Um, we also wanted a teacher, a middle grade teacher on the team, and then a counselor and typically someone else who had some, you know, amount of work with students. So that could have been a dean. Um, it could have been another middle school teacher. Uh, so most schools have, it could have been the AP. Um, so most schools have their principals, their APs, their counselors, and then a num- a few different middle grades teachers on the team. So it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive group. Four or five, maybe six people per, per school. Okay. So the network, you know, I guess, what is that? 30, 30 or so. So the work they're doing, they're getting together as a full group once a quarter, but then they're meeting much more regularly as, a, as, as their individual teams. Yep. So after Summer Institute, where we did a four-day, you know, uh, kind of comprehensive uh, defining of their product problem of practice and then ideated on their change idea, we then kicked off in the fall and started to do uh, team coaching to really support these change ideas and then one-on-one coaching with the team leads. So the way that that looks is that the team lead and it's one of the people on the team, typically either a, a teacher on the team, a dean, or sometimes it's the administrator. And we collaborate with them and then support them in their leadership goals and then also build the, the team agendas. And then 
bi-weekly we meet as a team to really work on their change ideas and support that and analyze data um, and really do the work of making substantial change in the buildings. So that's kind of how the, the weekly or bi-weekly work is looking. So as both of you know, in education, particularly in education reform or improvement efforts, whether it's in the school building or at a larger scale, there's often a lot of focus, in my experience anyway, on what the ideal state is, you know, what a good school ought to look like or what good teaching ought to look like. But sometimes there isn't as much of a focus on how to get from where you are to that state, right? That, that is to say there, what's the process of improvement actually look like? How do you actually do the work? How do you guide people from one place to the other? What have you been learning about this process thus far in the early goings of the Middle Grades Network? Where did they start what are they focusing their energies on? How are they tackling the work? Yeah, I think, Jason, your point about process is actually really important because I think for us, that is a lot of what we're really focused on. And I think it's been interesting and exciting to actually see the schools embrace that, right? And understand that like there isn't one answer to this. These are all very, very different school communities um, that all have very different needs. And I think it's been great to see schools embrace that we are very different, but we also have a lot of commonalities and there's a lot that we can learn from each other through this process and understanding how to systematically identify a problem, a plan for how we want to work through that problem, look at data to see how it's working, and then decide whether we're going to implement and continue that work in a more broad way across our building. So it has been really great to kind of see those kind of light bulbs go off for the educators we work with because that's not always... I think the experience they have, even though that's what a lot of them seek in their work and is part of why maybe they got into teaching and wanting to educate students in the first place. But it's also been really great to kind of see the ideas develop that the schools have been working on. So for example, one of the schools we're working with on the South side, their kind of process and what they've gone through so far is in the spring, they started doing parent focus groups um, and surveys with their students to really understand what were some of the challenges in the middle school that they were facing and what was kind of where they should be really focus their attention. And a lot of what they heard was relationships were really important to students. It was a small school. Most of them are from the same community and had known each other like most of their lives. So relationships were really key. The students expressed a desire. They needed more academic support. And they also said they wanted to have a greater voice in the decisions that the schools were making. So based on this, the school kind of narrowed down this um, problem of practice that reflected kind of the current times, but also the larger goals of the network and said they really want to develop a sense of consistent and flexible relationships with students that really put them first. And, and that's kind of where the school decided they really want to focus. And, and what that has meant and what they've decided to do is they want to develop kind of interest-based lessons and extracurricular activities that respond directly to the needs of students to help them be more engaged in their education. And they're particularly interested in black boys in their middle school because in, in combination with a lot of that qualitative data they collected through surveys and through talking to students and families directly, they also looked at you know the traditional quantitative data and saw that grades, attendance, and behavior metrics for those students were, you know, lower than they wanted them to be. And when they got those things together, they were like, we think this could help those students in particular, but we actually think it'll help all of our students. And then at the beginning of this school year, they did this getting to know you questionnaire just to kind of get 
to those interests, right? Like what are the things students are interested in? Favorite sports team? Who do they look up to? What do they feel their peers um, admire them for, right? All those little things that like you don't always think about asking kids, but are really important and can help you make connections. And in particularly in middle school, that can really be pulled out and elevate some of the things that maybe aren't always as exciting to students. You can find those connections. And they decided to actually, in a very timely way, do a series of mini lessons related to the election, which was a really great way to kind of take this interest they saw in these surveys about students' awareness of what was going on in the world. They were talking a lot about COVID. They were talking a lot about racial injustice and about other current events and how interested they were. And the teachers were like, let's really you know, grasp onto this and use this as a way to connect with students and pull their interest into lessons in a way that's really exciting. So they're just now collecting the data to kind of see how students initially responded to that and use that as a starting point for kind of where can we go from here and what does this mean for the impact it has on, you know, not only just the Black middle school boys, but all of our middle school students and some other ways we can implement this work kind of across our building. And Jen, are you seeing some similar uh, problems of practice that are being identified in the schools that you're working with in the in the network, the emphasis on on relationships, on connection, on belonging. We should say for the the folks listening in, Chicago Public Schools is full remote. Obviously, there was the remote shift in the spring uh, during the first uh, round of of this pandemic that we've been dealing with. But then the made the, the district made the decision to go full remote. So that's the current situation uh, in Chicago. But that has as we've talked to a lot of people, pose some issues, particularly for young adolescents who need that social connection. They're 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 in many ways governed by relationships and their and their social social context. So, is are you seeing similar things? Yeah. So, I think what we saw across all of our schools that the belonging was really like the focus for everybody. Is that everybody saw students really struggling um, to feel that sense of belonging when they they weren't in their their space at school. And I think what they realized is that wasn't just a problem in the remote, but it had been a problem for these students kind of all along. And that they, if they really focused on these drivers of, you know, different types of relationships that they could do some really great things within their building. Um, so the school that I'm going to highlight really through surveying their students, they found that their students wanted, again, similar to Ashley's school, their voices to be heard in that decision-making process. And they were really struggling with engagement and especially during remote learning in the spring and so with that, they really decided to start a student voice committee. Um, and that is their first change idea is to really start the student voice committee um, and have that student voice committee doing some real work. And uh, they've really jumped in already. Their student voice committee has met a number of times. Um, they meet once a week uh, to really work with the middle grades network team in the building and then bring that back to their homerooms and are surveying students already and they're analyzing data um, and they were looking specifically at like what teachers were doing that were that was really helping to engage them and build those connections. Um, and right now, uh, actually tomorrow at, during PD Day, uh, the teachers are going to hear a presentation about that work and what the students have already found um, and hopefully bring that back uh, into their classroom to be able to implement that feedback from the SVC in their classrooms and, and be able to you know, see, see their voice at work. And are the schools tapping into 
other resources that are out there. So if they are, they're identifying these issues, you all obviously are providing a lot of process supports and, and, and helping them identify the issues. But then I imagine that there are there's content, there's maybe programs, there's curriculum, um, other types of things that they can access that help them with that. How, how does that process work in terms of identifying specific resources that meet the need? Yes. So for uh this school that I was just talking about, the student voice committee, there's actually a department uh, kind of that is that's their job is to, to bring student voice uh, into the schools. Uh, and so the um, team lead for this team, she ended up going to the training around student voice committees uh, and we made those connections. And we uh, regularly meet with you know people within CPS to make sure that we are kind of on the cutting edge of what's happening there, along with other supports around. Yeah, I also say besides like working in partnership with like the district and connecting them to existing resources that they may not be as aware of, because, you know, working in a school can sometimes be a bit of a silo. You're really focused on your kids and what's going on in your building. So that's a big help. But we also do try to connect them with outside resources, um, whether it's bringing in resources from places like the Search Institute and their kind of framework on developmental relationships. We share those kind of resources with with schools. Um, We share like protocols around processes and things of that nature. We also are kind of in the early stages, just because the work is so new, of thinking about what are other partners we may be able to connect schools with to continue this work longer term, right? So if the school Jen is talking about is going to be doing these student voice committees long term, are there other organizations like, for example, um, Mikva Challenge in Chicago does a lot of civic engagement work with students when they get to high school. Would they be interested in working with this school around, you know, engagement with middle schoolers? So I think that's part of our longer term plan is to also really build strategic connections to other nonprofits and out of school time partners that can support the work schools are already doing and make it easier for those things to become embedded into their daily practice and really improve the experience that middle schoolers have in all those ways we know are important. Yeah, I think that's really critical to make those connections. My bias has always been that there are a lot of great people doing really great, impactful work. You know, there's no need to reinvent stuff. You know, but but you need to find people who are who are doing the work, and then how to make the the connections and make sure that it's that it's uh, useful in context, and that that uh, would would have a, an opportunity to, to to really fit a need. Uh, so this work that you're doing is obviously is happening in Chicago, as we said, and the University of Chicago's to and through work obviously has its primary interest uh, here in the city. But as one of the most respected and influential institutions in the world, really, I assume you're thinking about how to take what you're experiencing and learning here with these schools and sharing it to benefit the broader field. So I I know it's early, but what are you learning thus far that educators everywhere could, uh, would have interest in? Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Jason. It's still early, but we've already, I think, learned a lot and we're really excited to dive into what can these schools teach us that can, to your point, be valuable to schools, not just in Chicago, but across the country. I think the one both Jen and I already talked about quite a bit is we do think there's something really critical around this student voice piece. As we were talking about, like early adolescence is an incredibly critical time. It's the second most important time for development outside of early childhood. So that makes it an incredible opportunity to like set students on a positive trajectory. I mean, honestly, for the rest of their lives, right? It, there's so much opportunity that often goes kind of unnoticed at this moment because students are going through so much, not even just 
developmentally, but physically, like (laughs) we all remember being 13. It's not a fun time for you. It's not a fun time for parents. Like there's just a lot happening, but it doesn't mean it's not a really important time to pay attention to students um, and young people and their needs, because this is when they are figuring out who they are, how they want to impact the world and what they're going to do, you know, when they get out into the world. And we think because of that, starting to really incorporate and focus on student voice at this age seems to be really important. It's not that you can't do student voice work earlier with students when they're a little younger, and it becomes even more important as they're older and become more independent. But this is kind of this sweet spot we're starting to see of like, if you can start to really do this systematically now and you're regularly engaging students and setting up systems where eventually they're co-creating a lot of what their experience looks like, we think that could be really powerful. I think the other thing as we've talked about is just the relationships and the engagement and how connected those things are to their ability to do well academically. I think there's kind of a lot out there about this generally, but I think we're starting to see some early signs that that's, you know, even more important and some data and research to back that up in some new ways. And then to your point just like adolescent development in general, And I think one of the things that's been most interesting and is really simple about what schools have enjoyed about the experience is, you know, because CPS is structured in K-8, there isn't a lot of focus on middle school. Mm -hmm. So for so many of the educators we work with, the fact that they just have dedicated time and space to talk about the needs of this student group is huge. And it sounds really small. But like the fact that there is a focus on that and we're also talking about adolescent development and how that means how you teach students and how they learn and what they need is very different from when they were in fourth and fifth grade or what they'll need when they're in ninth and tenth grade really does make a big difference. So I think those are some of the things we're seeing early on. The other thing I'll note is we've already started to create some tools to help schools do similar work. So, for example, we spent a lot of time not only because we thought it was important, but I think it's become even more relevant in this era of remote learning, giving teachers and schools the tools to do focus groups, to do empathy interviews, to do regular surveys and analyze that data. So we've created some resources there. We've created some of those surveying tools for schools. And we're also starting to look at some of that research I mentioned earlier and update it and identify new research questions that we can really dive into based on what we're learning so far. So I think there's a lot of exciting things ahead as we get even further into the work with schools that really will be valuable no matter, you know, where somebody is working with adolescents across the country. Yeah, the K-8 system is a really interesting one, isn't it? And, and Jen, you were you were a, a middle school teacher, but when you think about the overlay of the educational system and structure with adolescent development, that you've been talking about, Ashley, right? When you think about where early adolescence starts, you know, most people put it in the sort of like the 10 to 15 in terms of age range. You know, those are probably the outer bounds. Um, and then most of it actually obviously is focused in, in, in the middle. But, you know, 10-year-olds are in fourth grade. And, and there's a lot of developmental science that is suggesting that, that some of these transitions and changes that young people are having are happening somewhat earlier than they maybe have, hap- have happened um, in previous in previous time periods. So I'm curious to know how you've thought about that, if you have, or if that's come up 
at all in the schools that you're working with, just in terms of like thinking about how to apply the developmental science to the to the situation that there's actually an interesting opportunity in the K-8 system that may not necessarily exist as much in traditional middle schools, which usually start around grade six, sometimes grade seven. Yeah, uh, some of our schools have actually added on fifth grade um, for that reason. Uh, so we do have a, a number of our, our MGN teams that include fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Because um, I think that's, for some of them, that is when they start to departmentalize and they start to see that shift. Um, so I think you're right. I think it did offer us a, an interesting opportunity to kind of look both at the traditional six, eight model of middle school, but also at, you know, what happens if you start earlier or what does that look like if you're starting to see, you know, similar issues with, with students or, or opportunities with students, right? Kind of both of those things at the same time come up in your schools. Ashley, you said something before that I want to touch upon before we close. This notion of youth voice and, and, and really sort of amplifying that and how important that is, particularly thinking again about the developmental science and young people at this age are really beginning to think about themselves uh, in in the world, like who they are and what their role is. Mm-hmm. And then you have that within this context of racial inequity. And I'm always sort of fascinated by how young people of all stripes in all particular environments are going through the exact same thing in terms of this the self-discovery. It was the term you used earlier, which is a good one. But a lot of the young people that you're working with are doing that within this environment of inequity. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that sort of informs your work in terms of, again, how you translate this developmental science, which may have more universal applicability or, or talks about that the, the developmental experience more broadly. But then you have the specific context of, of inequity, right? And that's, and that's really important to, to understand and, and, and make sure that what you're doing fits that particular context. Yeah, no, I think that's such a good um, question and a good point, Jason. Like all of these things are really connected. I think one of the the fortunate things that kind of happened is right when we were launching this work, Chicago Public Schools released the draft of their equity framework. And it has been a guiding kind of framework that we have used in our work with schools that has been really helpful And we definitely take an equity-based approach and an asset-based approach to the work that we do with schools and how we want them to see their students and the work. And it's not to say schools weren't thinking about or doing some of these things on their own, but it's about how do you make that a part of their regular practice and how they think about things every day. And I think that's where the student voice becomes so important because the student voice almost inherently makes things more equitable because so often we don't listen to what the students say. We don't listen to their experiences. We assume we know what they want to say. And I think that even happens in a lot of the schools we were working with. When schools were doing those that surveying last spring and fall, they expected certain things to come back. And then when they got different responses, they were like, wow, this is really powerful. Like, I want to get this kind of information from our students all the time. How do we make sure we're always listening to them and always asking them, what do we need? What's working? What isn't working? And I think that's where it comes into play because the more you do that, the more likely schools are to get the outcomes they're looking for, for students and for students to be more connected with the work. It also goes back to all schools have like a group of students they're focused on kind of more specifically, but we've let them define that group in whatever way that they want. So in, in the example of the school I talked about earlier, like they specifically identified black boys, right? 
And part of both the CPS equity framework and a lot of how we think about the work is if you support the students who are furthest away from where you want them to be for, you know, structural reasons, for a number of reasons that are beyond their control, but that you as an adult and an educator can create systems and structures to support them to reach those goals, you kind of lift all boats in that process, right? So if by focusing on the needs of Black boys in your school directly and intentionally, you will create better outcomes for everyone. Because often to your point, like from an adolescent development perspective, a lot of what works for that group will be useful for other groups of students, no matter what their backgrounds or their identities are. Um, and I think that's also something we've been really trying to emphasize and and work with schools to through, because I think it can be really hard as an educator and especially in a system like CPS that's really complex and there are a lot of challenges. There's so much thrown at schools and they're always asked to do everything. I think schools have really appreciated working with the Middle Grades Network because it's been an opportunity to focus on one really practical and tactical thing that they can change. There's not accountability tied to it. They can look at data. They can be curious. They can like test things out and try things. And if it doesn't work, like that's okay. Right. And I think that is really key and important to what we're doing. And part of why it's going so well and why we think it's going to have such an impact on, on those middle school students at the schools that we're supporting. Finally, for the both of you, is there one thing, one bit of advice based on your experience working with middle school youth in a variety of contexts that you would offer to educators, both in school and in after school and summer programs of things that they ought to either ought to know or ought to be doing? What would it be? Um, I think for me uh, that middle school students really need that opportunity at school to have time to explore their identity. Um, they really do need to figure out who they are, what they care about, and really understand that their voice matters. Um, and really at this time more than any, they need to know that they can make a difference in the world um, and really be able to, to, like I said earlier, like find their passion, right? Really find something that they, they truly care about and they can go off and then truly do something with it and take action on it. And I think for me, it's it's very similar. It's just, I think it's recognizing the importance of this period in students' lives. I think like as I've been doing this work for longer, like middle school has become my place because you just see the potential. Like they're just they're just at such a fun and interesting age where like they are starting to push back on you, but it's like it's in a good and positive way, right? They they're starting to think about their, they have their own ideas and think about that impact they want to have on the world. And they're really curious. And like, there's just so much power in this time period that we underestimate so much. And I just, I can't imagine what would happen if we really focused on students and their needs at this time, both developmentally, academically, socially, like how much students would blossom and how much we could set up the next generation to like be successful and have the type of impact we want to see on the world because there is just so much power in this time period um, that we really can harness for a lot of good. Well, it would be great to check back in with you after a little while longer to, to track your your progress. So let's let's definitely do that. Yeah, we'd love to. Sure. Meanwhile, Jen, Ashley, it's been such fun to talk with you. Thanks so much again for joining me. Thank you for having us. That was Ashley Leonard and Jen Choke, 
of the University of Chicago To and Through Middle Grades Network. You can follow their work on the web at toandthrough.uchicago.edu or on Twitter at uchi2through. Lessons in Adolescence features conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, I talked with Rob Yeagers, Vice President for Research at CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. Rob has had a particular interest in the role SEL plays in the learning and development of young people of color and how it can best be seen and used as a resource to promote racial equity. For our young people, I think we're, we're angling towards discernment, right? So when do you speak up? When, when is it appropriate to say less? With whom should you be talking? With whom should you be organizing? With whom should you be enacting certain things so in order to improve the local circumstances? You know, belonging is, is, is relational, right? You can do things, tangible things, to signal to someone that they're invited, they're included, you can engage in collaborative problem solving. So in, in many ways, I think SEL can be fundamental to, to addressing issues of equity. You can catch all of my conversation with Rob in a previous episode. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org or learn more about the founding partner organizations, the University of Virginia's Youth Next Center on the web at curry.virginia.edu slash youth-next, N-E-X, or on Twitter at youth underscore next, and the Association for Middle Level Education, on the web at amle.org or on Twitter at amle. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.